Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear kinsfolk. This is Pastor Visser from the heart of the Dirty South, which is Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, bringing you yet another Sunday morning Bible study. Today's date is October 27th, and the year is 2013. Dear kinsfolk, this will be the continuation of a study we began about a week and a half ago, titled Serpents and Worms Part 1. So, this naturally will be Serpents and Worms Part 2. This is the final part, and we'll be concluding at least this edition of the Morning Star segment. Also, dear listener, I would like to remind you that in about three days' time, October 30th of this year, 2013, I'm pleased to announce that Obadiah 118 of the ChristianIdentityForum.net will be joining me for a special Halloween edition of the Obi and Visser Show. This, of course, will make the fifth particular segment dealing with Halloween, or at least released on or around Halloween, making it Sam Hain or Saw Yen 5. So I would invite you to bookmark that, or at least jot it down in your calendar. That is this Wednesday, about three days from now, at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at our Talk Shoe Radio address. It's accessible at covenantpeoplesministry.org. I'm extremely excited about this, because a lot of people have been wondering, well, what happened to Obi and Visser? All I can tell you is tune in and find out. But, this morning I'd like to take a look specifically at what worms are in Scripture. What worms represent, and several parables dealing with worms. We're also going to look at a few definitions of what worms are in Scripture. The reason for this is because I want to fully drive home that curse that was placed on the serpent all the way back in the beginning. And of course, we're going to cover some of that this morning. But as mentioned in other works by Covenant People's Ministry, the actions that are ascribed to biblical angels cannot be performed by just mere flesh men. Just because angel means messenger, according to Strong's Greek number 32, it doesn't mean that they're only simple men. It does mean, oftentimes, that angelos can denote a messenger, but that does not mean that the archangels, or those angels that are specifically mentioned by name, like Gabriel, Michael, and especially Sataniel, in both the Old Testament and the New, are just mere men, because, well... Men don't live five, six thousand years. In fact, when a genuine Christian weighs all the evidence of the deeds performed by them, it becomes rather apparent that anyone who suggests as such is a false prophet with ulterior motives. 
And hear me, dear kinsfolk, what I pointed out in the first part of this particular sermon was the fact that Jesus Christ taught in John chapter 8 that when the false accuser speaks a lie, well, he speaks of his own. He speaks to his own. And as a result, many people out there, especially the devil's children, recognize a lie as the truth. So when you come along and you point out, hey, this is what the Word of God says, well, they have the audacity to then attack you. In fact, I've dealt with this over the past week on a particular sermon on YouTube titled Sodomites Haters of God. Now, keep in mind this particular sermon has nothing whatsoever to do with the homosexuals. Rather, the families that were destroyed in Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities round about, like Lot's neighbors who had children, etc. But it does not stop many Sodomites from coming against me and feeling that my video, my YouTube channel, should be their soapbox for spreading their pro-homosexual agenda. It's a side note, dear kinsfolk, there is no such thing as a gay Christian. And I'm not going to argue with the apostate as to what the clear-cut teachings of Scripture point out. One such clear-cut teaching of Scripture is the teaching of angels. Angels are extremely literal, and we're going to look at a few of them from the pages of the New Testament this morning. Many of these idiots who push this no-devil agenda by saying, well, angels aren't literal, and the devil isn't really a son of God, for example, well, they exist within the movement today, and they continually push their proto-mutic agenda. So please, dear listener, be on guard against them. Many of you about this time will be saying, well, how can you say that's pro-Talmudic, that's pro-Jewish, the no-devil belief? Well, Covenant People's Ministry has also released numerous teachings dealing with the erroneous interpretations of the modern no-devil crowd, which is purposely, I believe, shattered a once-agreed body of Christian believers. Perhaps the most controversial of all these sermons that I've authored is Judaism has no devil. Why? Because it proves that the enemies of Christ engage in self-worship, neither having a Messiah nor an adversary, much like those who deny Satan or the spiritual realm. Indeed, they'll come along and they'll say, well, the devil's just your flesh. And as I pointed out in the first part, nowhere in Scripture can that be validated. Can it be backed up? Because the devil's not your flesh. The devil is considered to be a tempter, which means he will tempt you through your flesh, which is exactly what the first half of James alludes to, what it says. Also, more information on the reality of angels and the devil can be obtained by reading the online book, Sataniel. This title has been in print for about four or five years now, and it's accessible through Barnes & Noble, barnesandnoble.com. It's also available on amazon.com and lulu.com. So you can order a copy of that for yourself. It's a slick, full-size book, indeed, and we use it here at the Covenant People's Church. You can also use it in homeschooling and Christmas is coming up, so a perfect time to give your uh, enemies and friends alike a book dealing with the reality of angels. And I might add that many of my listeners have stepped to the plate and sent support, and part of that support is by ordering my books. Indeed, we only get a small percentage, but that's not the goal when it comes to these tomes that we author. The goal is to get them out into your public library, or at least at bare minimum, on your home bookshelf. Why? Because people will read them. That's the longevity of the Word of God. 
and many people have pointed out this last week, that it does not matter if I reissue a sermon that's five years old, the truth behind it will stand forever. And indeed, this is something that I myself have found to be true. This slander, this gossip, this Pharisee, and even Sadduceeism that exists within Christian identity does not stand. Now, we can stand around tooting our own horn till come sick them, till the cows come home. And many of our own people do that. They look down on other people. They attack their ministry as if to make themselves feel better about themselves or to make up for the lack of works that they themselves don't produce. But none of what they say stands. It does not stand the test of time. What truly does is the word of God. It has stood for thousands of years. And its prophets, its teachers, those who come along and will teach you verbatim what the mouth of Yahweh God says are hearkened unto hundreds and hundreds of years later, if not read. And perhaps we'll cover some of those quotes this morning. You could read this book also, Sataniel Online. It's available in print form. There are other sermons I've authored that all deal with what we're dealing with this morning. For example, Anointed Cherub That Covereth, Beware of False Prophets, Part 1, 2, and 3, Devices of the Lawless Almanac, which is an out-of-print book right now, but I believe about 200 copies have been produced and shipped to date, making it quite rare. I actually have a copy of Devices of the Lawless Almanac, and it's extremely colorful and definitely full of lots of graphics, so if you're able to obtain one of those, please do. Also, Tactics of the Lawless One, That Man of Sin, The Son of Perdition, and or Wicked for the Day of Evil. Wicked for the Day of Evil's about 2005, I believe, that was authored. And it also mentions the downfall of Legion of Saints and uh, Rabbi Samuelson. So, rest assured, CPM will continue to honor Christ, Yahshua Messiah, our King, by exposing the iniquitous tares that interject deceitful leaven into Christian identity, because one really can't call themselves CI, quote-unquote, if they aren't aware of the identity of the children of God and the children of Satan. And indeed, I believe that we covered this in the first part. But if you need more study on the children of God and the children of Satan, well, Jesus Christ taught straightforwardly that the devil had children on earth, considered tares in his parable of the tares and the wheat, and also loving John in his first epistle, chapter 3, round about verse 10. You'll be able to confirm that there most assuredly are children of God and children of the devil. Now, Adam was considered to be a son of God. The Israelites are considered to be sons of God. Even Satan, once upon a time, as that anointed cherub that covereth, that mercy seat, was considered to be a son of God. Not only a son of God, but perfect in the way he was created. Created. We're going to see today that in Jesus Christ was considered and considered himself, at least according to the 22nd Psalm, to be a worm. To be despised of all men. Meaning, that when you were to see Jesus Christ, well, there'd really be nothing to be desired. That is, unless you desire the truth. But if you were to see Lucifer, well, he would be a morning star, the bright and shining one. He would be the most beautiful among all those trees in the Garden of Eden. Hence the reason Adam and Eve were told not to partake of his tree. So before truly beginning this morning study, I want to take a look, go back and revisit the curse that was laid to the head of the serpent all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. 
Of course, you've heard many people make mention of this within Christian identity because Genesis 3.15 is a pivotal verse within CI. It says, I, Yahweh God speaking, King James transliteration, will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, Yahweh God is about to pronounce a curse onto the woman pertaining to childbirth. He's going to pronounce a curse onto Adam pertaining to agriculture or the dust of the earth, which is supposed to bring forth the Adamite substance. And he pronounces this curse upon the serpent. Pay close attention. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. This is the revised. It says, Yahweh God said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle and above all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go, the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, that's a pronouncement from Yahweh God unto the serpent all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And what should be pointed out is that that judgment pronounced against the serpent, or here, Satan, was that he should be on his belly, that he should consume of the dust like a what? Like a worm, and or a serpent. And it should be pointed out that according to history, and especially according to J.R.R. Tolkien's literature, dragons, which the devil also represents as per the book of Revelation, have been referred to as worms, oftentimes spelled W-Y-R-M. But nonetheless, a worm is a lesser form of a serpent. It goes upon its belly. It consumes of the earth. It eats from underneath the earth and leaves earthworm castings everywhere it goes. In fact, that's one of the most richest form of compost and or starter material that a farmer can get is earthworm castings. Many of them will throw numerous earthworms within their compost bins because an earthworm will produce, at least in the summer, its body weight worth of manure every single day, much like a bat. Now, that's just a side note, but what I want you to focus in on was that judgment that was pronounced upon the serpent was that he should go upon his belly and he should consume of the dust. Adam, man, was created of the dust of the earth, was he not? And as such, the serpent is a leech today. A leech and or a worm. Now, there's many types of worms. You could think even ringworm and worms and or viruses that get under your skin. In fact, that's one such definition of the worm. In fact, a good definition that I'd like to bring forth right now is taken from Noah Webster himself, who I quoted on the very first edition of Serpents and Worms Part 1 about a week and a half ago again. Noah had his own translation of the Bible, and he also had a Bible dictionary. Now, in this latter era, he's more well-known for his dictionary. However, back then, Noah Webster defined worm as, in common usage, any small creeping animal or reptile, either entirely without feet or with very short ones, including a great variety of animals of different classes and orders certain small serpents and or snakes, as the blind worm or slow worm, the larvas of insects, for example, grubs, caterpillars, and maggots, and the woodworm, cankerworm, silkworm, which are all larvas of moth. 
Now, what I'm pointing out here is that worm has dual meaning within Scripture, but that should be no surprise. So does serpent. And perhaps at this time, we'll cover the serpent that was placed atop Moses' staff during the Exodus and what it represented this morning. But nonetheless, I want you to be on guard against them. Now this morning, I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 21, we can read this. Upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of God, and not a man. And immediately the angel of Yahweh smote him. Who? Herod. Because he gave not Yahweh God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. End quote. Again, that's the book of Acts, as per the King James transliteration, chapter 12, verses 21 through 23. This, of course, is King Herod Agrippa I. And he is destroyed by worms. Why? Because he didn't give God the glory. Rather, he was grateful to have the praise of men. Many men came along at that time and said, well, this isn't the voice of a man. This is the voice of God. Yet it was not Yahweh God, was it? It was King Herod, a man ruler. And we see this behavior today. We see many extreme liberals, for example, who worship Obama, coming along and saying, what's wrong with you? How come you're not getting with the times? Well, the reason for that is naturally Yahweh God does not change. Neither will his morality, neither will his word, neither what's been taught through antiquity for the whole and or the girth of Christendom. Now, because in this latter era, the last few years or so, homosexuals been allowed to be married, doesn't change the will of God, does it? It doesn't change the fact that many homosexuals will be standing there saying, I'm Christian too, I did marvelous works, they were goats, however, and they'll be cast out into the lake of fire whom Jesus Christ straightforwardly taught the worm will quench not. The worm never dies. Where? Well, that's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 44 verse 46, and verse 48. Jesus Christ dealt with the teaching of worms by saying they represent eternal torment. And that's exactly what's being relayed here in the book of Acts chapter 12. The angel, first and foremost, of Yahweh God smote him. was not just a messenger nor a mere man, because the narrative doesn't come along and say, well, they arrested a man and put him in prison for the death of King Herod, does it? Nowhere, rather. It says, the angel of the Lord, the narrative says, smote him. Who? Herod. Killed him. And killed him because he did not give God the glory. And because he didn't give God the glory, well, he was eating worms and he gave up the ghost. And that is a polite way of saying his spirit went back to Yahweh God. And Yahweh God it is who will judge him. This use of worms in Herod's death, it's interesting. And it ties back to certain quote-unquote trees from the Garden of Eden. As the quote-unquote fir trees, or the quote-unquote cedars of Lebanon, gave Satan praise, his heart was lifted up, and he chose instead to play God, just like King Herod, and we read about it moments ago. Yahweh's future sentence against him is this, pay close attention, it's found in Isaiah chapter 14, quote, Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials and or violins. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? 
How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? End quote. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 14 verses 8 through 12. But what we see is that once again, worms represent eternal torment. If you will, pie on your face. People will come along and say, is this the man that did weaken the nations that deceived the whole world as per the New Testament? Yes, it was. It was Lucifer. And all the while, his children were promoting that fictitious ideal that, well, that's just Obama. That's not a son of the devil. There's no devil. The devil's your flesh. That's just Pharaoh. That's just Assyria. That's just the king of Babylon. Whatever it is, they find a shortcut and an excuse to protect their father, the devil. This pronouncement against the same serpent that we read about earlier in Genesis chapter 3 is, you will be cut to the ground because you weakened the nations, the ethnos, the genios, the races. That's what he did. And more specifically, the devil's target are those nations of the children of Israel, which is what the scripture deals with when it says nations. Now it stands to reason, if Yahweh God has a chosen priesthood, a royal race down here on earth, as scripture says in the New Testament, then does it not stand to reason that the devil would attempt to pollute that bloodline by any means necessary, but most assuredly through miscegenation, through confusion, through Babylon, through all of these examples that were laid down in Nimrod, Pharaoh, the Assyrian, etc. And Lucifer it is, who fell from heaven, pay close attention, how thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, Isaiah chapter 14. Can a man fall from heaven? Or even the heavens, if you want to take it in a literal sense. Can a man do that and survive? Scripture says no man has seen God and survived. Period. But the no devil will want you to believe, well, that's not the devil. Why? Well, because Jesus Christ said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Jesus Christ straightforwardly taught that Lucifer, Sataniel, the fallen one, was the prince of this world. He rules this world, and only a fool would look around at this wicked, evil world that we ourselves live in, especially in rebuilt Babylon, and give man more power than the devil. In essence, give man more power than the left hand of God himself, who oftentimes can stand as an adversary. So what I want you to take away by what we've covered thus far is worms represent eternal torment. On a superficial level, worms will gnaw your flesh and Every single dictionary says the same thing about worms. That's what they represent in Scripture. But also, spiritually, worms can gnaw at you until there's nothing left. Until you're dead. You could die from certain manner of worms, certain manner of moths, and you can most assuredly die from being snake bit. And perhaps that's the reason why the no devils come along and they say, well, there's no Lucifer, there's no angels. Now, the whole of Scripture attests to their reality. And I think by now my listeners are probably tired of hearing me drill it into the people's heads. But what I want you to understand is that you must be aware. Yahshua Messiah brought forth a very simple teaching and that was beware of false prophets. Or better put, be aware. He commands you to be aware of the tactics of the false prophets. Of these types like Pharisees who come along and they spend all their time judging while they themselves don't keep the law. Or Sadducees who spend all their time denying the spiritual realm, denying angels, 
Yet they have the audacity to sit in Moses' seat, to pronounce judgment. Is there anything new under the sun, dear kinsfolk? Oh no, indeed. These false prophet terror bastards still exist amongst us today. So, remember, dear listener, that man can either serve God or mammon, never both, as per Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 or Luke chapter 16 verse 13. Jesus Christ says God or mammon, not God and mammon. Not a little bit God and a whole lot mammon or any combination thereof. It's God or mammon. In fact, he even goes one step further by saying, any man serves the world, he hates God. Friendship with the world is enmity and or variance towards God. The same enmity that was placed and we covered this morning between the woman and the serpent. That same enmity that wasn't fully brought to an end at the crucifixion and will not be fully brought to an end until many people on the left hand of Jesus Christ are sent in to the lake of fire, where what? Where the worm does not die, where the fire is not quenched. Now that's what the scripture says. It's up to you, dear kinsfolk, if you want to let a man come along and say, well, Satan doesn't mean Satan, when even Strong's and every concordance says Satan means Satan. So don't be sidetracked. One thing I've noticed over the years, dear friends, is that the way of the false prophet is to make everything suddenly about themselves. They will detract from the Word of God and what the Word of God says. And they'll go into these long diatribes about, oh, I was set up. I was sent to a mental hospital. I was falsely accused. I, I, I. You hear it so much within Christian identity. And Jesus Christ taught, out of the mouth proceeds what's in a man's heart. If a man always says, I, 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 I got to defend myself from this detractor. I got to defend myself from what the world says about me. Then it should be common sense that that man is about himself. It's not about the word of God. And many people are that way. It's easy to get lifted up with ego. And I, your pastor, can attest to that. For example, in the last three years, there have been three covenant people's ministries spring up. It's amazing to me. But there are. Nonetheless, there's one in South Africa, there's one, I believe, in Rhodesia, and there's also one in India. And these are mud congregations. There's even a covenantpeopleministry.org that's only one letter off from my domain that I've maintained in upwards of about 12 years. The reason I mention this is it's almost political suicide because on a global scale, anybody searching for Covenant People's Ministry, I pop up on the first 10, 15, 20 pages in any search engine. Same reason I never chose to call my church Aryan Nations or Church of Jesus Christ Christian. You do a search for Pastor Visser, well, I pop up. You do a search for CPM, my church in Brooks will pop up. You do a search on Aryan Nations, And the first 20 results all happen to be the Southern Poverty Law Center. They happen to be the ADL. They happen to be Antifa organizations, but they will not find your church if you're riding the coattails of other men's successful ministries. Go out and start your own pro-homosexual Christian, if that's what you feel you are. But don't use the Covenant People's YouTube or the Covenant People's Forum as a soapbox to spread your filthy agenda by coming along and saying, my flock have a problem because they listen to the text more so than faith. All I can say to that is, well, yes, naturally. 
I will go with what Scripture says time and time again over what even my own heart says. Why? The heart of men is evil. All men are liars. Only Yahweh God is true, myself included. Now, how many pastors out there would tell you that, dear kinsfolk? You can either serve God or mammon, never both. The way of the Judeo-Christians to come along and say it doesn't matter. Go ahead, celebrate Halloween. We're going to have a Halloween celebration right here within our church. Nothing wrong with serving mammon. Wicked men that choose to serve men's counterfeit systems or laws as opposed to God's can only do the bidding of Satan. Thus, in Scripture, Pharaoh, Herod, the Assyrian... The king of Babylon and many, many more are quote-unquote types of Antichrist. They're meant to show you what happens when man themselves want to be reverenced as God because that's, after all, the story of Satan in a nutshell. His number is the number of a man, 666. Many people will be dumbfounded at that great white throne judgment saying, is this the man that deceived the entire world? Now, that does not mean that Lucifer himself is just a man. That does not mean that all of these many little gods and or antichrists that exist within the land, being the devil's children, don't have a man of sin or son of perdition, a leader of all antichrists. After all, there is a bridegroom for Israel. Does it not stand to reason that there will be a bastardized version of that for the sons of the serpent? Naturally, dear kinsfolk. And that's the reason why. Beware of those who are absorbed with man's politics or think that it can be the answer to God's own curses. There's no answer to the world's woes in man's faulty system and those who serve it willingly are simply pawns of the adversary. Pawns of the adversary. Now, they may not necessarily be the de facto literal children of Cain or the children of Satan, Yet they're the devil's pawns. The extreme liberal can be used, manipulated, and or brainwashed. Because after all, they're the ones going along saying, keep an open mind. Their mind's so open that it's subject to manipulation. And so, many people who do that, they engage within the world's politics. They think, well, I'm going to vote Republican or Democrat, as if there's a difference between that. Or they come along and they say the Constitution is such a godly document as if the Constitution gave any Christian, Israelite, man, woman, or child anything that Yahweh God had not already given them within the Word or His law thousands of years before. Whatever it is, these pawns of the adversary, these children of Belial want you to think that man somehow is the answer. I'd like to remind you here in October 2013 that it's politics that got us within this mess, dear friends. It was the hippies in the late 60s that brought feminism into existence. It was the faggots just a mere few years ago pushing for legalized marriage, were they not? And politics it was that gave them everything they wanted. Through politics, man has been able to remove the Ten Commandments from your average courthouse and replace it with a form of their own commandments. Which is, of course, thou shalt not speak out against the immoral or will charge you with a hate crime. Something along those lines. But it's sure not, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The first and foremost, which is Yahweh God saying, you Israelite man, woman, or child shall not bow to any other god or foreign type people. You shall not intermarry with them. You shall not make covenants with them. You shall not do anything. That's the reason why they remove them. 
The first and chiefest of all those commandments is love Yahweh God with all your heart. If you serve Yahweh God, well, everything else will fall into place. But the way of the no devil false prophet is to come along and say, well, there's no devil. Why? Because by extension, if there's no devil, there's no God. It's all about self. It's all about worship. And it truly is Judaism in a nutshell. So, still within the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, verse 11 reads as such, When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that Yahweh hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. End quote. Again, that's Acts chapter 12, verse 11. But what we see here, like the whole of the book of Acts, is that Peter was delivered from the quote-unquote fear of the Jews. That the Jews persecuted Paul. They gave Paul 40 stripes save one, according to his own testimony. The Apostle Peter here in the book of Acts chapter 12 says, Well, now I know of a surety. And that's a surety that we have in this latter era. Yahweh God sent an angel. Not just a mere man who was able to walk within the prison and do all manner of miracles and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the people of the expectation of the Jews and or the fear of the Jews. Now, naturally, the one seed liner or the single seed liner would want you to believe that, well, it was just a man. A man had the ability to come in and do all these miraculous things. But we know, because we accept the scripture for what it says, that Peter's guardian angel, quote-unquote, was the same exact angel that was sent by night to open the prison doors and sent him free. That is, found within the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, and also Acts, chapter 12, verse 7. And what Peter's angel says is, quote, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life, end quote. And actually, a better rendering of that would be words by which the way unto life is shown, quote unquote. So this angel frees Peter from prison. Perhaps this was just a man who had the ability to go in stealthily, like a rogue, steal a key, free him from the bonds of men and Herod, and then command him, go, Stand and speak in the temple. Stand out like a sore thumb. Let the entire world know that you did escape. Oh, naturally, a man would say that, would he not? No, rather an angel would say that. And why? Because there's a reason. The words which Peter was commanded to speak in the temple to all the people were the words by which the way of life is shown. They're the words of Jesus Christ. They're the words of this Bible. So those who come along and say, well, you got to have faith over the Word? Are you kidding me? You must have faith within the Word. Not faith within your own heart that will lead you astray. Not faith within what Joel Olstein or even a false prophet who goes by the title of dual seed line Christian identity might say. But rather, the Word of God. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel, and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts. You can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. 
Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Peter's angel was even seen by others, and that's confirmed by the book of Acts chapter 12, verse 15. Not only was this angel seen of others, he protected Peter and the latter apostles throughout the entire book of Acts, and finally sent these same worms to eat the God-tripping Herod. Once again, Christian identists can see the importance of Scripture when building faith or determining authentic doctrine. Now, you build your faith from the Word of God, not from what some demon or an angel even might bring you in the still of the night, or what you may hear within the dark recesses of your own heart, because oftentimes that's the flesh. The flesh will tell you and justify, hey, it's okay. In fact, the flesh will come along and say, you owe it to yourself to walk a mile within a debaucherous person's shoes. How can I say that? Well, that's what he said to Eve. Yea, hath God said? How do you know, Eve? In essence, he casted doubt. And that's exactly what they'll do. But we don't have doubt within the Word of God, do we, brethren? No, we don't. We believe within the Word of God because the Word of God is sufficient and Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah, has foretold us all things. Not some things, but all things. Now, where do you think it was that Jesus Christ foretold you all these sayings? Exactly. Then His Word. Nowhere else, dear kinfolk. So do not be deceived by men who want to remove you from the simplicity that is written. Peter, the disciple, knew of a surety that Yahweh God sent his angel. Now, Peter also had a vision on the rooftop in the same book of Acts. He knew of a surety then that Yahweh God showed him through that vision not to call any man common or unclean. Now, the false prophet will come along and they'll use Peter's vision as an excuse to eat pork. And I've heard it myself. Perhaps you have. They'll come along and they'll say, well, Peter saw all manner of four-footed and two-footed beast. They were all made clean. It's okay. You can go out and eat an ethnos woman. No problem there, right? But that's not what was said. Peter said, I know of a surety, Yahweh God said, not to call any man or Adamite common or unclean. And in the case of Peter's vision, it was Cornelius the centurion. He says here in the book of Acts chapter 12, I know of a surety that Yahweh sent his angel, and that same angel delivered me out of the hand of Herod. Now leave it to the tares to come along and say, well, that's not an angel. It doesn't have wings. It doesn't fly. It doesn't have 5,000 years longevity. That's a different Gabriel. That's a different Michael. But that's exactly what they'll do. Understand, dear listener, denominations and new dogmas are born every day. But according to Yahshua Messiah, only the eternal word is undisputable truth. How can I say that? Well, it's written, it's transcribed in the Gospel of St. John 17.17. It's real easy to remember. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus Christ also said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. How could he say that? Well, he's the living word. And so, it forms, if you will, a perfect trinity, even though I don't like using that term, but... Everything comes full circle. And everything comes back to the Word. Comes back to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if it's a motion picture, if it's a book, if it's a painting, 
if it's a perversion of the devil or an invention of man. Yahweh God transcribed every answer you need within this word. Christians knew the world was round thousands of years before it became a uh, theory. That's transcribed within the book of Job. It's transcribed within the book of Isaiah. And that's just one such example. Only the word is undisputable truth. And only a fool would not accept the word of God as a whole over what man says. So, the word is undisputable truth, not man's modern theories. Never listen to non-believers about the sanctity of our scriptures. Hear me, dear kinsfolk. The Bible within their hands, it's mere confusion. And it's words that they can never grasp. Understand that this word of God in the hands of an ethnos or a beast, it's like reading someone else's mail. They don't understand who the players are. It doesn't make a lick of sense to them. So you will find people, natural brute men and women, who come along and say, of course, Jesus Christ was a Jew. It's not written, but they'll say it. They'll come along and they'll say, well, of course there's no devil. But they believe there's a God. The same God that Scripture says can stand as an adversary or be Satan himself to certain people. But that's a side study for another day. And of course, we're going to cover it in the Morning Star series because we're far from done with this. In fact, I could probably teach on just angels indefinitely. But I like to give you a fair mix of Jesus Christ, a little bit of law, a little bit of the Gnostic text like the Gospel of Mary. It's quite popular. And then come back to it. Because the no devils haven't stopped. In over 20 years of BNCI, these same exact false prophets like Wyland, like even Barley to a lesser degree, Mark Downey, by name. Yeah, and I'll drop their names because they're enemy. Will come along and they'll say, hey, the devil's not literal. Does scripture say the devil's not literal? A lot of people dealt with a literal devil, did they not? Jesus Christ himself dealt with a literal devil when he was being tempted in the wilderness. Now, to come along and say the devil's your flesh is to say that Jesus Christ had imperfect flesh. Is that even possible? Scripture says Jesus Christ was perfect. Born according to the law, and not only that, died as per the law. So that in his blood, in his sacrifice, you would have redemption. So, don't make the mistake of the no devils or those who appeal to the intellect because they want you to come along and say, gee, that sounds really good. That's how cults are born. Scientology, Mormonism. They come along, even Catholicism. And they say, hey, I got new light. I have inside keys. But there are no inside keys. Yahweh God said he has sent you all the prophets already. There's going to be no latter-day prophets. Jesus Christ said, I have foretold you all things. Now, where did Jesus Christ say it? If you want to take it to mean the New Testament, fair enough. But you better have faith within that New Testament, more so than the words of Billy Graham, Barack Obama, or any of these false ilk people who want to be reverenced as gods themselves. There is no difference between Herod, Pharaoh, Obama, Lucifer. They're all cut of the same ilk. They are, in essence, spiritually one. Just like we are to be one with Yahweh God. And this, dear friends, is such the case with this new no-devil doctrine, quote-unquote, or the single-seed line theory. History and almost every theologian that has ever existed disprove their weak stances because their core belief shows a desire to become and be reverenced as lowercase gods themselves. Just like Lucifer the fallen one. That's what every single man desires. 
Now, there's a lot more studies, and it looks like we're doing pretty good on time. So, we're going to pull a few of those out. But remember what we've covered this morning about worms. Worms represent eternal torment. Worms also represent the flesh, the temporal, for a season. In Scripture, for example, in Job chapter 17, verse 14, in Job chapter 24, verse 20, and in Job chapter 25, verse 6, worms represent the eating of carcasses. They represent man's mortality. And that being said, we must understand that Lucifer's MO is to appeal through the flesh, through mortality, through pleasures of sin that last only a season. That most oftentimes an Israelite man, woman, or child with a God conscious will go out and feel guilty and or ashamed for directly afterward. But the devil will come along and say, hey, live right now. Here and now, everything's about right now. Why? Well, get your pleasure, get your kicks, you're made of flesh. After all, we only live for a short season. Yahweh God confirms this is true, and Solomon says within his book of Ecclesiastes that all is vanity. Meaning, what do you do with the sheer amount of time, that little amount of time that you have down here on earth? Do you give all your money and your support to the tobacco industry? Do you give it to the Jews by buying and supporting their motion pictures? Or do you support Christian identity ministries? Do you come along and give reverence, homage? Do you throw 20 bucks in the copper for Billy Graham to continue to spread his poison? Or do you support the truth-telling preachers that Yahweh God does raise according to his own heart? Now you have heard me, dear kinsfolk, preach from this pulpit, Covenant People's Church, numerous times on the 22nd Psalm. And I think the 22nd Psalm is extremely important because it begins on the note, Eli, Eli, Lama, Shabbatane. It explains why Jesus Christ, when he hung on that cross in torment, quoted the 22nd Psalm. It is called a Messianic Psalm. And it represents the feelings of Yahshua Messiah as he hung upon the cross in agony. And one of those such statements can be found in the 22nd Psalm, verse 6. Revai says, I am a worm and no man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He committed his cause to Yahweh. Let Yahweh deliver him. Let Yahweh rescue him. For he delights in him, end quote. Now, anybody familiar with the four Gospels knows that that's exactly verbatim what transpired at the foot of the cross. As Jesus Christ hung there, many of our own people and many of the children of the devil sat there and said, well, he believed in Yahweh God, let Yahweh God deliver him from down from the cross. If he thinks he is God in flesh, then allow him to miracle himself down. Yet it was not the prophecy. The prophecy came true. And one such prophecy is found here in the 22nd Psalm. And it says, I am a worm and no man. King James says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. That's what Jesus Christ truly was. That's why he was killed in the end. That's why his true prophets and his true message is rebuked and hated by the world today, most assuredly. If you think becoming a genuine Christian, your walk down here on earth is going to become a bed of roses and a cakewalk. you got another thing coming, dear kinsfolk. It's simply not that way. Even King David had the same sentiment. 
Not only the same sentiment of believing he was a worm and a reproach of all men, but the Israelites themselves are considered to be worms. They're worms, dear kinsfolk, and understand that. They're worms because they're mortal. When that silver cord parts, as per scripture, the soul goes instantly to the Father who created it for judgment. Instantly. We don't go into a hole in the ground and sit there for eons waiting for the judgment of Yahweh God. What do you do with the time you have? Well, King Solomon wrote Proverbs. King Solomon did the will of God. David, his father, did likewise. And he transcribed here. Well, Isaiah was a prophet to Israel and he did the same exact thing. So in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 14, we're going to read again another prophecy. Isaiah 41, verse 14. Again, this is the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. It says, Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. Stopping right there. Fear not, Jacob and or Israelites, you men of Israel is the context, your worm. King James says, Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith Yahweh God, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, or the Holy One of the Israelite people. Recognize that you are a worm, lowly despised. Recognize that you are nothing. Why? Because the devil, Herod, Pharaoh, the Assyrian, Barack Obama, the list is endless, all thought they were something great. They all thought that they were something that they were not. All righteousness, dear kinsfolk, appears as filthy rags before Yahweh God. It means nothing. Nothing we do is truly righteous. It's truly full of light. It's truly full of righteousness and or goodness. Only the things we do for Yahweh God and or in His name. Can those things stand the test of time? Can they be considered righteous? Jesus Christ said you can sit there and preach a good game like a Pharisee, but if you're not feeding the hungry if you're not clothing the naked, then you're worse than those hypocrites. Get that through your head. A good work means more. And your righteousness is as a worm to Yahweh God. Only the things we do for the advancement of His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven will stand and matters to Yahweh God. That is the advancement of His law down here in America, in Europe, in Australia, wherever we may find ourselves. There's another reference to worms found in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 8. Again, Revised says this, For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my deliverance, Yahweh speaking, will be forever, and my salvation to all generations, and or genios, to every Gentile is what's being said, to every Israelite, to every person, his salvation shall be extended, and not only will his deliverance be extended to all of those tribes of Israel, but it will be extended forever. That is, until the end of this second, and the ushering in of the third and the final earth age. Skipping up just a few verses to verse 6 of Isaiah 51, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die like gnats. Gnats is the word that in some manuscripts is rendered worms. But my salvation will be forever and my deliverance will be never ending. 
Hearken unto me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of men, that's a nice way of saying Satan, and be not dismayed at their revilings. Why? Well, that's the verse we began on. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But Yahweh's deliverance will be forever to every Israelite man, woman, and child who has the law written on their heart, who has the spirit of Yahweh God. That's the condition. And we see here in Isaiah 51, no different. It's for every single person who knows righteousness and people who know righteousness, as per Isaiah 51, verse 7, are the people in whose heart is Yahweh's law. Now, that should make sense as to why the new covenant may, with the same people of the old covenant, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, will have the laws written upon their heart. They have the morality of God they know right from wrong. The children of Belial don't. The children of the devil don't. In fact, Jesus Christ says they recognize lies as truth. So when they come along, they say, well, the devil's just your flesh. They believe it. It's not written, dear kids, folks. Nowhere in Scripture, in no commentary, and nowhere in Christendom has anyone ever said, hey, the devil's your flesh. But they believe it so convincingly that many other people are led away by their ploys. And I know you, dear kinsfolk, are smarter than that and will not allow the false prophet to allow that to happen. But the last instance of worms, at least according to the book of the major prophet Isaiah, is found in the 66th chapter. And in the 24th verse, it says this, King James, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be in abhorring unto all the flesh. Now, there's a lot of things that can be pointed out about that. But what you should point out, or at least notice, to your yourself or your neighbors, is this. Their worm doesn't die. They do. They go into the grave. Their mortal bodies die. And the worms eat them. But their worms do not die. That's a polite way of saying they'll be eaten of and returned to dust for eternity. But one thing that does not is Yahweh's covenant, Yahweh's promise, His long-suffering, His grace, and His deliverance. And we've covered all of that this morning alone. And also, another thing that does not quench and or die is the worm, the fire, nor the fact that they shall be an abomination to all flesh. Meaning, in that great and terrible day, every single person will not only come to a full realization that this word is truth, that the prophets raised up according to Yahweh's own heart, that had the law written according to it and upon their own heart, were correct, the word of God was correct, and more specifically, that the last 2,000 years of Christendom under Jesus Christ was correct. But they'll also be in a boring to all flesh. Let's read that in the Living Bible this time. They shall go out and look at the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall never die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be a disgusting sight to all of mankind. Let me read that again. That's the living Bible, dear kinsfolk. And this living Bible, which I would actually classify as a spurious transliteration, renders this better than even the single seed liner can. 
What are those who rebel against Yahweh God, who is the living word incarnate, who is found within his word, like the single seed liner? A disgusting sight and an abomination, not only in the eyes of Yahweh God, but his very sons and daughters, his very children. Now another instance of the using of the word worm that I feel at least is important this morning is found within the book of the minor prophet Micah. And of course, those of you familiar with the word of God know that that is found towards the latter part of the Old Testament. Nonetheless, in the book of Micah, chapter 7, beginning in verse 16, we can read, The nations, once again, that's a polite way of saying the races, the races shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth, their ears shall be deaf. Why? Pay close attention. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They, who are the enemies of us and God, shall be afraid of Yahweh, our God, and shall fear because of thee. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of who? The remnant of his heritage. His offspring, his progeny, the remnant within that. Those are who Yahweh God came for, and those are they whom Jesus Christ came for. He retains not his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou, who? Yahweh God, will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. What's sea? The lake of fire. That's where they go. And every single reference we see about worms, it deals with this brazen sea. It deals with the same exact topic. Grace. Yahweh God loves His people. They, those nations, those who hated Yahweh God, who mocked His heritage, who mocked His word, they shall lick the dust like a serpent. That's a polite way of saying they'll die, both spiritually and physically. But they die the second death. And in that second death, they move out of their holes like the worms of the earth, like serpents, used interchangeably. Same word. They shall be afraid of Yahweh, our God, not the God of the entire world. Get that down. Not the God of the entire world. In fact, verse 18 of Micah 7 confirms that. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, that passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Revise says this. Who is a God like thee? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. Eerily similar to the King James Version. But this next part, pay close attention. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Now that, dear kinsfolk, is probably a better rendering. Yahweh God delights in steadfast love and that is the reason why. In the King James, it's rendered mercy. But Yahweh God is a God of mercy, and that is the reason why. Many people must go down. They must become as worms. They must be cast out. Now, I barely touched upon the concept of worms playing into manna. And there are people who will come along, and they will say, Hey, mushrooms are an abomination. You can't eat that. Now, I've never confirmed that within Scripture. That may be. I personally don't really eat them. But it should be pointed out that when we go back and we study out the use of worms when it comes to manna, manna was something that sprung up in the dew of the morning. If allowed to stay when the sun came up, would shrink back 
and worms would eat of it. It would wither to the ground. It would become cankerous and it would become unedible. In short, there are many factions of Christendom who've come along and pointed out that the closest earthly representation of what manna could be could be the mushroom. Now, if I'm incorrect on stating that, because that is opinion, that's not my opinion, but when you really go back, you'll see that worms would eat mushrooms, and the sun, of course, would kill them, and it stands to reason. I can't find anywhere within the law where it says mushrooms can't be eaten. So if I am incorrect on that, please send me an email, make a post in my forum, and point out my inconsistency. But Jesus Christ taught eerily similar to Micah and Isaiah by saying, The apostate, those who deny, will be cast to a lake of fire, and the lake of fire is representative of a place where the worm dies not. It is the grave, for lack of a better term, and those who die spiritually will be consumed and, in essence, tormented forever. I hate to say it, but many people will come along and say, a God of love is not about torment. Oh, really? God says, whomsoever hateth his son will spare the rod. The scripture says, whom Yahweh God loves, he will chastise without punishment and consequence for our sins. There's no reason to live godly, dear kinsfolk, so don't fall for that. So, like usual, my intention with this two-part study on serpents and worms is to glorify Jesus Christ and to expose the false prophets among us today. They often attack the truthful under the guise of Christian civility, meaning that if you don't accept their Jewish belief that Satan is your own flesh, or Yitzhar Hara, then you're being unnecessarily uncivil. And that, my dear racial kinsfolk, is their modus operandi. They'll do it time and time again. When you point out that there is no such thing as a gay homosexual Christian, for example, they'll come against you and they'll say, well, you don't know the word of God, right? First and foremost. And they'll even go as far as to say, you don't have the spirit of God, as if the spirit of God is to tolerate homosexuals. Well, the false prophet, the single seed liner, does the same exact thing. When you point out that the devil's literal and that scripture says as such, they'll say, well, you're being unnecessarily uncivil to me. You're attacking me. And then they'll go out and they'll slander and they'll make up all sorts of stories about you. They'll take it personally as if it's your fault. They can't attack the message. So what they will do is attack the messenger. And I happen to be one such messenger that's pointed out dual seed line Christian identity. That angels, the devil, and all these things are literal. That you shouldn't eat pork. The word of God says it. That's truth. A lot of people don't like me for that, dear kinsfolk. A lot of people go out and they invent straw men arguments and they invent and frame entire histories about me that aren't even true. It's up to you what you want to believe. It has nothing to do with me. But if you're going to listen to me, at least have the sense enough to take it back to the Word of God and see if what I'm telling you is true or not. I supply the references. I even go as far as to tell you the Strong's Hebrew or Greek number so you'll know that I'm not misleading you. Go, check it out. And if you have a problem, come back, tell me where I'm wrong. To dismiss the reality of angels is to write off the Bible as it's plainly written, period. The scripture means exactly what it says and has the ability to save God's chosen Israelite people during every era, dear friends, every single generation. And we live but a a breeze, but a speck. Do you not think God's word is sufficient or are you going to be a Pharisee and come along and say, every single Christian was wrong, grandma's wrong too. Could she not be part of the body of Christ and wisdom increase in the end times? I think so, dear friends. But, of course, judgment lies within the hands of God. With or without man's long-winded 
explanations. The word of God is sufficient and always will be. If the scripture says there's demons and devils, then they are factual. Therefore, the upcoming sixth part of the series and the umpteenth, what, twelfth part of the Morning Star's audio segment series will be devoted to Jesus' detailed teachings on angels and his own personal dealings with them. Up until this point within the Morning Star series, I've only dealt with the Old Testament certain dealings with worms and serpents in the New Testament, but we're going to go straight forward and deal with Jesus' own teachings on angels in the next segment. Will it be two parts? Most likely. But it will be on the sixth part of the Morning Star series, and it will deal with not only Balaam's miraculous talking ass, but Jesus' angels, the angels he dealt with. For example, the angels that appeared at the cross during the crucifixion that strengthened him. Now, wouldn't the false prophet love to come along and say that was man doing that? Giving God the strength to overcome horrible agony. We will deal with that. His detailed teachings on angels and his personal dealings with them. A re-examination of the angel that hindered Balaam and his ass from prophesying falsely to the children of Israel will also be included. Friends, there are countless examples of supernatural cherubim found within Scripture. So it is my wish that this series, however many parts it will be, how many books it will end up being before I leave this earth, it's my wish that all of this work will help to arm Bible-believing Christians against the imposter's ploys. And so, I want you to remember that CPM has released a deluxe CD package of the original Morning Star series. It's available for about 8 to $16, I think. It's four compact discs. They're the original versions that you can also hear for yourself on YouTube.com and the Covenant People's YouTube uh, webpage. But it's a special four-disc set that contains two 40-minute sermons per compact disc with all eight extensive sermons in booklet form to study along with at your own convenience. So as I pointed out in homeschooling, the irony behind the original 2007 editions of the Morning Star series is they were preached in a little building next to a truck depot. And if you listen really close... You can hear the trucks backing up and the beeping going off and gates opening and workers screaming and all sorts of mischief and noise. And not only that, they were recorded on original analog cassette tape. So their sound quality is nothing compared to what we are able to achieve directly from this pulpit in the year 2013. So, you can hear the originals and you can order the deluxe four-disc set or you can simply download the redo versions and of course there's many promos for that and a special thanks goes out to Archtype, my friend from Illinois, who's granted us numerous graphics that we've used in this very series. So, these audio sermons have been naturally released in MP3 format for internet broadcasting, and it's our hope that any sales for this unique package of the Morning Star series will help generate the additional revenues needed to release other books in paperback form. You can also download Satani Allen PDF, or you can order that. We briefly touched upon that earlier this morning. These expanded series of sermons about biblical angels are loosely based upon sermons I wrote back in the years 2005 to about 2007. And they are Trees and Stars in the Garden of Yahweh, 
stars and trees in the garden of Yahweh and the anointed cherub that covereth. So please, dear listener, be sure to familiarize yourself with those sermons should you desire any further study into the realization and reality of angels. I'd also like to point out that the Morning Stars paperback has been released by Covenant People's Books. In fact, I'm holding a copy of it right here and reading from it as we go. Select quotes for this morning study. But it's slick. It's about eight and a half. It's full size. You could double it as a coloring book. There's room for notes. It's full color. Red, black, and blue. It's got links, hyperlinks, and it's actually pretty good considering it's only about six dollars to get yourself a copy of the Morningstar series. And it is, I believe, almost a hundred something pages dealing exclusively with angels. You, of course, can also receive this book as an added bonus. In my book, Sataniel, The Rise and Fall of the Morning Star. Available from Covenant People's Books as well. So, if you'd like to be reminded about the future releases of any CD sets that come forth from Covenant People's Audio and or Covenant People's Books, please be sure to sign up for the CPM newsletter. The address is given at our website and will be given here in a couple minutes. Or at the Covenant People's Forums. All you got to do is sign up for an account there. In fact, you don't even need to sign up for an account. Rather, all you need to do is swing by and you can stay abreast of future shows. Again, as I began this morning's study on quite a while ago, I want to point out that in about three days, October 30th of this year, Wednesday, Eastern Standard Time, that is this Wednesday, on the Talk Shoe Radio Network, Obadiah and myself will be bringing a very special fifth part Saw Yen Sam Hain Halloween study. Dealing with not only darker aspects of scripture, in fact we covered a few of those this morning, dealing with serpents, worms, etc. But also a few of the superficial aspects of Halloween. A year ago we went into All Saints Day, we went into All Hallows Eve, Saw Yen. We went into all of these terms that have been bastardized and now are known as Halloween or All Hallows Eve. But this one that we're going to be doing, we're going to be covering some darker horror films, we're going to be covering the state of apostasy in general, and even maybe naming a few false prophets by name. I've been looking forward to that, and if we start doing that, who knows, maybe even Pastor Jay Faber or Morris Gallette will call in. You never know what will happen on Covenant People's Radio. So, for one night a month or one night, one night only, time will tell. I'll be back in the talk shoe gutter as will Obadiah 118 of the Christian Identity Forum.net bringing you another Wednesday night Bible study. And so, until then, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia and the Covenant People's Church reminding you and yours great studies, war for Christ Amen Thank you for listening to this message we hope that you have enjoyed studying with us remember the words that Christ has given that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them we hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministries website which is covenantpeoplesministry.com and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. 
Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.